How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast. And let's just jump right into a... a, a, There are those moments in life when an event happens uh, to you that essentially uh, a a lot of external factors play into uh, you making a certain decision and some of these factors... You're not given enough time to understand why it occurred. You may never know why those events uh, occurred or um, it's just too complex of a, of a problem that you're just not able to solve it immediately. And um, we've all gone through those, th- those events in our lives. And uh, for myself, this is going to, uh, this is a very interesting one because something that had gone unsolved for quite some time, uh, long enough for me to kind of lose interest in and in, in really learning and and um uh and 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 spending more time researching. It was kind of like a massive event at the time it happened, but then it kind of just fizzled and disappeared. Especially with um this. By the way, this is uh my the the reference that I'm talking about right now is related to um the financial markets and and investing and. In 2000, between 2008 and 2012, I had gotten into uh, gotten into investing. Uh, essentially, my first roommate I ever had, he came up to me and asked me if I ever um, if I had ever invested in stock before. And I'm, I have to give this background before, like I, I touch on the story. And essentially, I told him, "No, I've never. I mean, I've I've read about it, uh, but I've never really opened up my own account. I know, like my family." has traded here and there, but they weren't really advent uh, investors. And, and they actually were um, fairly against it too. And, and luckily they weren't really impacted by the financial crisis of 2008. But my friend was telling me, he was like, you know, there are all these banks right now are at such low value. He was like, do you think the government would ever allow them to fail? And I was like, no, not really. He was like, why don't we open um, a, like a, a, like a stock trading account and just start like putting some money into into these different stocks. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, let's do that. And so uh, we opened our, our own trading accounts. Actually, I think I already had opened one before because uh, actually I did. Uh, I opened a trading account a long time ago. This was probably like two years. When did this happen? I have this is something I have to look up. Uh, uh, no, never mind. Um, so yeah, I, I had to have opened the account at that at that point with him, and so essentially, uh, we both open our own accounts. Uh, I go through Scott Trade. I think he goes through E Trade, and uh, we just start putting money into different banks. Uh, my first investment. Now I remember my first investment was was with the bank that I used for my personal stuff at the time, which was Bank of America. So I put money into Bank of America. At the time, I think they were trading at uh, like $7 a share. And then I put money into Citigroup, which was trading at about $4 a share. Um, I put some money into JP Morgan, which I couldn't remember how much. I didn't put much because at the time, I just didn't really use JP Morgan for anything. Um. What other companies did I put money into at the time? There was 
Um, no, I can't remember. I just remember just trading initially with like bank stocks because I like at the time I just felt like there's absolutely the way that the the narrative was spun was that essentially if banks failed, then the whole financial crisis would 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 be exorbitant. It would be just dire. Like there would be no turning back. It'd be worse than the Great Depression. So I felt, and just like my friend felt, was that the government wouldn't allow these banks to fail and essentially would invest into them and and make sure nothing would happen. And something like that did happen. And so the stock started to recover and we made a a good money off of it. And after that, like I started getting more and more involved in in trading stock. I started investing into businesses that I've, I, I, one of my things, like when I, when I trade stock, I don't trade things based off of like current events and current, uh, like current news about different, different things. I trade stock on future events, like a, a company that I feel like is going to make some movement in the future. They either have a technology or product or service that is revolutionary. It's going to change things. Maybe right now it's, it's a, it's a big hole in the sense that they're, they have a lot of money in research and development or whatever the, uh, their investment is into this idea of theirs. But for me, it just makes a lot of sense. And if there's a somewhat of a scalability to it, then I want to invest my money into that. And so I've always taken that approach with a lot of different things. And fast forward from 2008 to 2010, I'm sitting on a good amount of money. Like, uh, uh, yeah, let's just say a good amount of money. And I... You know, at this point, the U.S. economy is slowly recovering. It's not really recovering in the way that a lot of people would want it to. And then, lo and behold, the euro crisis occurred around this time period. I think it happened in uh, late 2009, early 2010. Um, Yeah, end of 2009. And so the euro crisis, if you're not familiar with it, so the United States kind of jump-started this whole global recession with its uh with the re- with real estate. I won't go into too much detail about it. I did a um a thesis paper on it which you know, I I'm I've always been fascinated by the great recession. Um and so I could probably spend an entire week of podcast talking about it. But most of the, most people understand what happened uh, to some simplified degree. But what a lot of people neglected to remember around this time period as well, it's so crazy to think this was 11 years ago, um, was that uh, whatever happened in America essentially trickled outward to the rest of the world and started to impact other countries in negative ways because a lot of countries are obviously invested in America's interests. And these things started to show some issues within borders of other countries, especially the European Union, which at the time was still a relatively new concept. I mean, we're talking about like 20 years, but still like a relatively new concept when you're talking about countries. And already the way things were working out was that um, some of the, the, so the European Union, if you're not familiar with this, very simple. Essentially, it's like the United States, but European countries are grouped up into uh they they've come to an agreement and have grouped up into one super uh unionization of countries and they they consider themselves as like one country not really but kind of 
in essence. Um, they all kind of use one currency. They have uh, like their each country has its own parliaments and governments, but then like they have essentially like their own parliament for the European Union. It's weird how it works. It's it's kind of like the United States, I guess, but a little bit different. Um, well, essentially, some of these governing states or countries, should I say, were not managing their finances properly and were overextended tremendously. And uh, those countries, easy acronym to remember who they were, were essentially pigs was the best way to remember it. So Portugal, um, who was ICE, or, uh, Ireland, Portugal, Ireland, um, Greece, and Spain. Those four countries were essentially in huge amounts of debt. And that debt started to, um, at this point, like global like banks and, and global markets were like on teetering on going back into hard recessions. And so when it was found out that these countries had a massive amount of debt and um, they just, there was no future in sight where they could potentially pay off this debt because they had like an old population and whatever the course might be, a lot of fear started to loom again. And so in uh, starting in late 2009, you saw volatility again in the markets. And it didn't really bother me too much because I was already uh, making, I already made a gain from 2008. I got investing into 2000, like early 2008. Um, so I was probably up at this point, maybe like 20, 25% on the stocks that I was trading on. And so the volatility was like moving like five to 10% up or down, swinging up or down every given month, right? Like every day was different swings, like uh, 2% here, 3% down here. It was wild to see the swings, but it was a really tantalizing time period until we talk about a very unique time period, which was May 6th of 2010. And I'll never forget that day. At this point, um, I'm probably up 30% on my stocks that I had invested in in 2008. I'm sitting happy. It's everything. My portfolio looks phenomenal. It's well diversified. I've already kind of learned more. Uh, I had uh, some mentors and investments and things of that nature that I can lean on. And so I learned more about um, diversifying my accounts, trading on different financial instruments, and... uh, and at this point in life as well, I was looking to go back to uh, to university to actually finish up my degree from computer science and transitioning to finance because I was just so fascinated by finance. Um, and then all of a sudden, May 6, 2010, I literally, like I said, I'll never forget it. I'm at my office. I'm working at a car dealership at this point. I'm training to be a sales manager for this car dealership. And it's me. Um one of the guys that I worked with who I consider to be a mentor, a super fascinating guy, his name was Dave. Um, uh, he just like knew so much about this stuff. And then uh, my other good friend uh, or like my really, really good friend, Jonathan, um, we were like the only ones at this, at this dealership that were talking about training equity all the time. And so, Dave kind of like had his own massive portfolio. This guy was like well versed in this. He'd been training for like 25 years up to this point and had like recommended different things and and just a very fascinating uh, guy. Really was only working at this dealership because he like retired 
early in life and he didn't really enjoy retirement. So like he came here to kind of just like kill time. He didn't really work full time. He just came in whenever he wanted to do uh, to just work. And he just kind of had that relationship with the dealership. And it was really cool. Really nice guy. Learned a lot from him. Um, Jonathan was a little bit younger to me. He was like a couple years younger to me. Um, was new to investing, got into learning a lot about day trading, but I sat like in the middle where I had some interest in day trading. So I started to get into that a little bit, but like I was always kind of a long and long investor where essentially being long means like you're putting your money away and you're not touching it. You're essentially just, it's, it's a retirement account. That's the way you're looking at it. You're not going to touch it unless dire life situation is going to happen to cost you to sell your equity. And so, you know, occasionally when you, when you invest long, you don't really pay attention to your stocks. The best thing you could do is not pay attention to things. Uh, especially during this volatility, I knew with like the Euro crisis looming, I was, I was glued to the news every single day because it uh, honestly, the narrative at, during this time period was like at any point, if one of these countries files bankruptcy, it's going to tank the logic of the European Union and and that could potentially snowball into another massive global recession event because if something bad happened in the European Union it would it would America was already like slowly recovering it would just put us back and put everyone else back the European Union is massive essentially I think they're uh, at that point they were third uh, China was fourth they were third. Japan was second and, and America was first in, um, in GDP. And so, you know, like European Union had like a, uh, like it was like a big deal. And so I was always ready to just dump a third of my stock into like more safe, like more safe things like bonds um, and then cash, like just putting it in like a savings account and just writing out like a small um, return because equities is just, you know, I didn't want to lose everything I had made up in 2008. And like my logic was like, I could just put it away and then come back to it later on, but, um, or take it out of the market and then put it back whenever I felt safe. And then in 2000 uh, or May 6, 2010, essentially for a, small period i want to say it was like 20 minutes it was probably like 30 minutes i i I don't know how long it was um i just remember it was later on in the afternoon it was like literally after lunch i just remember my because my buddy jonathan was day trading a lot he noticed that uh the the market was just he he himself lost a ton of money because the market was just tanking he was like dude Dude, look at the Dow Jones. It's it's going crazy down. I was like, Jonathan, it's it's normal. It's like it's always doing these ups and downs right now. He was like, no, this is like tanking. Like, look at this. And like, I was at like another station, and like I came to his desk. Then I looked at his uh has his computer, and I've never never seen this before. Like even like historical numbers. Like I, I at this point I I became versed, well versed in in um investing. I mean, I'm not like a, a huge expert, but I'm, you know, I'm doing well for myself and, and I'm gathering a lot of information and actively learning more and more about this. 
And I just know that no aspect in any given year has the Dow Jones ever made this nosedive. I mean, like literally it was like a cliff. The market was just tanking and it was, it just kept the needle like every single minute was ticking down, 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 down. And I was like, what the f- is going on? I went back to my computer and immediately the, the stocks that I was willing to just dump, I just dumped. And I actually dumped more because like it just looked like these numbers were ridiculous. I In the scope of 10 minutes, I lost uh, like a... Uh, 15% of the value of, of what I had. And I was like, this is insane. What the hell is going on? Oh, there's mayhem going on everywhere. There's nothing like on the news. You're not getting any information. Essentially, you're not sure if this is like it. This is like a, the, the thing that everyone was talking about, like the Euro, like the Euro European union is like tanking, like something bad happened. Someone like got like hit with info before everyone else. And now is dumping all their stock. And essentially it's causing everyone else to dump their stock. Like, I need to get out. Like, this is bad. This is that time. I'm ready for this. And so I dumped probably 50% or more of the equity that I was holding on to, and I just cashed it out. And it was taking a while because I remember the systems were, it wasn't immediate. I was, like, waiting for someone to to buy my, my, my cell, and I was, just, I was just taking massive losses. And then 30 minutes later... The market just starts to climb back up and no one knows what's going on. And for the longest period, I didn't think anyone would ever figure out what was going on with this. There was so many theories about what had caused the event, but it was like a, 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 for 15 minutes, the world was going literally nuts. Like I think it was a trillion dollars were lost in American equity. Like it just United States stock value, a trillion dollars was lost. In 15 minutes, it was the wildest thing that has ever happened with um, with the financial system, and that's already talking about the fin- uh, like the financial crisis of 2008. And so, I mean, at this point, I like I I put money back in when I start to see the, the like the numbers start to tick back up. I start buying again. But I only buy about like 20% of what had sold. So, I mean, I dumped at that point was 30% of things or 30% of all my portfolio was was dumped into cash. Um, and, and the theories were that it was either some algorithm because at this point, this was starting to become a, a, new, tech, a new form of technology where essentially traders were developing and now, it's, now that's how the market works now. Now it's like no one... None of the big dogs are trading their own money. They're not sitting at a computer. They're just programming a, a program to just do the trades for them. And so the idea was that someone, someone's robot went mayhem and just caused all of these issues and shorted a lot of stock and caused all these problems. And because of all this, the markets got together and created uh, short stops now that whenever an equity moves up or down 5%, or if the actual Dow Jones moves up or down 5%, that essentially the markets, if they want, they can go ahead and emergency stop the, the, um, the, any all trading. So essentially, they can stop all forms of trading if they feel like there's something crazy going on in the market. And that technology was implemented after this flash crash. And then I just remember like uh, investigators were, were trying to find out what happened. But the last time I, I learned anything about this in 2013... Not much was even known. It was still like an unknown at the time. And so I kind of forgot about it. 
uh, at that point, I had I gotten out of the market because shortly after all of that, um, I the last couple stocks that I really invested in were two big IPOs. I invested in a Tesla when they went public, got them for eighteen dollars a share, and then I went into Facebook. But then uh, Facebook did me dirty in a sense that that requires its own podcast, but. They, they had massive amount of class action lawsuits as well. That fucking Zuckerberg, now that I think about it, honestly. Um, when, when, when Facebook went public, essentially they, they uh, every time a company goes public, they have a, an amount per share, what they value their company at, at the time, and then it's up to investors at that point to agree, disagree, or overwhelmingly agree, and then they just overbuy, and then it uh, drives up the value of the company because everyone's trying to buy this stock uh, to create a demand. And for Facebook, actually, when they went public, their number that they landed on um, on their first day was actually too high for most investors, and, and, and people were actually not buying Facebook stock. And it was released that later on... Um, Facebook knew that the initial numbers that they were asking for didn't really make a lot of sense. And so, uh, and then they shared this information with their underwriters and their underwriters then shared that information with their high level clientele. And they were the ones that started selling, like shorting the stock and getting the value to drop down to a number that Facebook traditionally thought it was worth actually to be. And then that information got leaked out that that happened, that Facebook had told their underwriters this information and that their underwriters went ahead and released that information. And so after that, it just left a, a bad taste in my mouth and there was still some problems going on with the the, um, the markets that I just went ahead and cashed out all my equity. And then I really just gave up on the concept of being an investor because it just, honestly, after the flash crash, after this event with Facebook, I had already made a good amount of money by that point. I mean, I made great money with Tesla. I still kept a little bit in Tesla and then ended up selling them at like $40 a share. But um, this, they, uh, the reason why I'm telling all of this story is that I just found out today that in 2015, they arrested the guy that caused the 2010 flash crash. And I never knew that they ever found this person. And his story is so awesome. I'm going to oversimplify it. You really need to research this. Just research Flash Crash of 2010 and just look up uh, who caused it. it. The guy's name is uh, Navinder, 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 is N-A-V-I-N-D-E-R, uh, Sarah, essentially was one guy in his bedroom living in his parents' place. This guy was probably like in his late 20s. <laughs> Dude, this guy's story is unbelievable. This guy was a genius. He, uh, a brilliant individual, was a big nerd, uh, liked playing video games, so a big shout out to him for that. He essentially uh, made a considerable amount of money just trading on the on the markets, and he just knew how to trade on the market. He, he did very well for himself and made $15 million in the scope of a couple years trading on the markets. So this is before the flash crash. 
This is during the financial crisis. And literally took no money and turned it into a ton of money. That's how smart he was. But then he uh, started to find out that um, investors were now using these high-frequency forms of trading where they were using artificial intelligence or robots, not artificial intelligence, but programs, to start trading. And he did not like that. He felt like it was... uh, this one as this one technology was going to diminish and minimize the ability for people to to properly make money on the market that it was really going to undermine all the efforts of other people and undermine the kind of stuff that he did that um and he didn't enjoy that idea and so out of spite this guy developed his own program and his program caused the flash crash of 2010 to prove to them that there were issues with the way that they were thinking and that that same technology could be used against them to drive down the value of their stock. and But the crazy thing about this guy is that during all of this, by the end of what he had done, he had a, a mustered almost $70 million, and he never used that money for anything. He literally just uh, he put it, he gave it to people to invest into different accounts. And he ended up losing a lot of his money because one of the guys specifically that he gave to manage a lot of his money ended up like, it was almost like a Ponzi scheme, essentially losing all of his money. Finally, this guy gets caught by the U.S. government in collaboration with with the British government. And it's a guy out of London, by the way. I forgot to say what country. He's in London, West London, uh, living with his parents. And essentially England and um, or the UK and the United States worked together. And essentially, since this was a crime that really impacted the United States more so than any, anything else, it impacted like the New York, or the Dow Jones or sorry, <laughs> the New York Stock Exchange. I'm tired. Sorry. Um, it was, it, this was kind of like in the jurisdiction of, of the United States. And so... Working together, the Justice Department got there and they arrested this guy at, uh, like at his house and after they arrested him, they, they, they dropped like 21 charges on him for essentially manipulation of the stock market and just a lot of other, uh, a lot of other things. And like one of the things I realized that when I got into like learning about finances is that if you're not a big dog that has really great lawyers and you get caught for something a lot like violating any laws by the SEC standards, those laws are carry huge fines and huge prison sentences, like long, long prison sentences. It's pretty crazy. Like I feel like you could commit murder and get away with like manslaughter or something like that. With this, like, unless you have, like, really good proof showing that you weren't taking advantage of, of the stock market, you're going away for a long time. It's the weirdest thing. Honestly, it's the weirdest thing here in America. But um, they they had this guy with 22 different charges with, for a total of 380 years in jail or in prison if he got, um, if he got nailed for every one of these charges. And essentially, his uh, his lawyer ended up being a former prosecutor for um, the SEC, I believe. 
he went to America and sat down with uh, the Justice Department and essentially was like, look, my client is uh, willing to help you guys like understand like what he did. And look, this this guy literally lost all his money, not because he took the money and invested it and was like reckless with it. He literally gathered all this money, gave it to someone that he thought he could trust to really just invest the money for long-term purposes. He didn't live an extravagant lifestyle, still live with his parents and everything of that nature. Like this guy, you guys might not win this case pretty much. Like his lawyer was like, look, you guys might not win this case, especially if it goes to jury and the jury starts to feel sympathetic to his, like his story you guys might actually lose this case. And so the Justice Department sat down, listened to what he said, and eventually said, okay, fine. We won't pursue all the charges, but instead we'll um, we'll make a deal with him. And essentially, uh, he got away with just one year of house arrest. <laughs> and um, he helped like the, like, uh, the feds essentially locate other people that utilize the same technologies that he used and how and help them better prepare for ins- like issues like this in the future and I, I his story is just unbelievable it really is it's it's wild to think about but now he's back home and he it's just living the same life and he really never cared about the money it was all the principle of it just like the idea of being able to just make a ton of money because he knew he could do it and the money was never the the thing that he cared more about was just, it was the ability to do that. And I have to thank him to some degree because he kind of started this level of pessimism towards um, like researching finance. It was like after that, I started to learn a lot of corruption existed in, in financial trading and, the system's really rigged, and I do invest here and there nowadays, but it's more of a secondary hobby. It's not something that I'm like, oh, cool, like I'm going to make a ton of money off of this. I really don't care. Like Money and capital to me doesn't really make much sense to me. I don't really – I um, that deserves its own podcast. Maybe tomorrow I'll talk more about that, actually, uh, because this one's going on pretty long. But uh, I I do want to say thank you, uh, Navender Navender Sorrell. Sorry, I am butchering your name. I'm so sorry. But I cannot believe that you're the guy that caused the financial crisis or the flash crash of 2010. Literally, I I never knew we were ever going to find out what caused that. And lo and behold, five years ago, (laughs) they figured it out. That's so wild. And I I didn't – like I – I still to this day read news, financial news, and and this is just the when this happened to him, I had just moved from Colombia to the U.S., so I, there was a lot of things going on in my mind outside of like investment stuff. So I wasn't really following the news. And it just had to be in that window where I wasn't really focusing on on financial news. But I mean, since two thousand eight, I've always read like CNBC, CNN, Fox. Like all, like all financial, um, Yahoo Finance, Google Finance, like literally um, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal. Like I've read all of them to just like gather information about different businesses, uh, especially like financial stuff. And so uh, it, it, it's just crazy to think that I just missed this one. And now I'm, I'm just finding out. And it's because YouTube recommended a random video for me. 
it was like, hey, this is uh, a story about the guy that caused the 2010 flash crash. I was like, wait, what? They found him? Like, this is recent news? Oh, my God, this is awesome. And, of course, it piqued my interest so much. I watched it, and it was just so awesome to watch the story. Honestly, this guy's story is awesome. But, anyways, sorry it took me a while to get to that point of talking about him. Um, he, He really did make a huge impact on my life in the sense that, like, I just, like I said, I just slowly got away from caring so much about finance. And... Uh, I still am considered in the finance field, I guess, at this point uh, now, especially because I'm in insurance, but I'm not even I'm not even working in like the traditional insurance field where I feel like I'm going to be manipulating people and things of that nature. I don't it's just we'll talk about it tomorrow. Like uh, we'll talk about like my my perspective on capital, on currencies, on on gains on investments, all of that stuff. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And just like my idea of just getting away from all of that stuff. But either way, thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast and I'll catch you guys all manana. Peace.